0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: The ongoing aggression by Vladimir Putin and his Russian armed forces has provoked a nearly all of government response from the United States, no less than nations geographically closer to Ukraine. And that includes the State Department. For a view from the inside, we turn to the president of the American Foreign Service Association, Eric Rubin. Ambassador Rubin, good to have you back.
0: Thank you very much, Tom. Good to be here.
1: And I want to start with your own background, because you served the State Department earlier in your career in Moscow and also in Ukraine. So you're one of their Eastern European go-to people.
0: I am. I've been working, actually, on relations with the the Soviet Union and the former Soviet Union for for almost 40 years.
1: What's your feeling? What's your sense of all this? What are you going through personally watching this drama unfold?
0: Well, for, for me and for my colleagues who've been working on This set of issues uh, since the end of the Cold War, since the end of the Soviet Union, it's a very, very emotionally painful time, partly because we all have friends and colleagues, people we've worked with, uh, their families whom we know. And what people in in Ukraine are going through now is like nothing except maybe what happened in Bosnia to the people of Sarajevo. But it's the only other example I can think of in Europe uh, since World War II. And this is on a much bigger scale and a much bigger country. And it's also for those of us who've been been working to have a better relationship with Russia and in the hope that Russia would be democratic and European and free. It's also a very painful time.
1: I imagine it must seem like there's a chasm between Putin, his military and the oligarchs and everybody else in Russia which, as we're seeing from protests, it's not clear that Russians as a people believe in this or think this makes any sense.
0: Well, I think the the regime there is working very hard to make sure that people don't find out what they're doing in Ukraine. And they're putting out a lot of false news. They're saying Jewish president of Ukraine who lost three great uncles in World War II, who lost much of his family in the Holocaust, that he's a Nazi somehow. He's also a Russian speaker, native Russian speaker, who's learned Ukrainian. So the idea that he's some kind of Ukrainian nationalist nationalist Nazi is insane, but they want to be sure their people don't know. So they've been shutting down social media platforms. They've been jamming Western media. It's it's shades of the Cold War.
1: And again, before we get to the State Department, that's an interesting theme because, yes, Putin is calling, you know, whatever his imagined threats in Ukraine as neo-Nazis. And he said something similar during the invasion of the Crimea a few years back, that it was inhabited by anti-Semites, which struck my ears as Really odd coming from a guy like Vladimir Putin.
0: It's completely false. It's completely ridiculous. But, you know, they're they're heirs to the great Bolshevik tradition. And Putin, you know, was educated by the KGB. So the relationship between what they say and the truth is, is they're two completely separate things.
1: All right. So let's talk about the State Department. Now, what does it look like inside when things are this tense in the world, when there's an outbreak of just extraordinary change and violence, really, that involves in some ways the interests of the whole planet?
0: Well, I think the first thing is, is concern for uh, our uh, people, our Americans and their families who are serving in this part of the world, uh, many of whom have since been evacuated from certainly Ukraine. And the war zone. But now we're also being evacuated from Belarus and uh, in part from Russia. The second is our our local employees, our what we call foreign service nationals in in all of these countries, but particularly, again, Ukraine, the people who are under fire. Many of them left, but some of them were not able to. And they're now sheltering in basements and cellars and metro stations with their kids. Food is running low in a lot of neighborhoods. And um, it's uh, it's it's very scary. And a lot of them are are, our friends and former colleagues. Beyond that, obviously, the human toll is enormous, and it's it's wrenching for us to see. And obviously, we hope that our country, together with the allies, are, are able to put enough pressure on Russia to stop this outrageous invasion. But it's also hard to see Russia like this. This is not the vision that we had at the end of the Cold War for a relationship with Russia that was based on some shared values, not all, certainly, but some. And that's gone for the moment.
1: And just getting back to the Foreign Service nationals that work in Russia for that were in the U.S. facilities before they were, you know, evacuated, and also the other places where Russian army members, Russian military members might get close to in Ukraine and some of the even perhaps adjacent nations. Are those people in danger, do you feel?
0: Well, in Russia, they forced us to fire or lay off all of our Russian employees. We had close to 1,000 in what used to be four uh, diplomatic posts in Russia, which is now down just to the embassy in Moscow, um, I don't think any of them are in danger, but they've been harassed. They've had a hard time, for example, getting new jobs. The the Russian government tries very hard to make sure no one will employ them. Their kids have been drafted in the army, so it's not pleasant. But in Ukraine, there is real reason to think that the people who worked for us could be in very great danger if the Russians succeed in capturing Kiev and have a list, which they assuredly do. I can assure you they have the, the embassy phone book and the names of all the Ukrainians who would worked for us, many of them for decades. So um, I, I think there's reason to be concerned for their safety. Yes.
1: We're speaking with Ambassador Eric Rubin. He's president of the American Foreign Service Association, also served in Moscow and Ukraine earlier in his career. What does the planning look like inside the State Department? I mean, who do they involve? What kinds of meetings are going on? Are they going in late to the night? Does it involve the career people on the desks for these regions, as well as the political appointees?
0: Yes, absolutely. So in a crisis like this, it's all hands. And obviously, the leadership of our agencies, primarily the State Department and USAID, but all of our foreign affairs agencies are working around the clock. Most of the people staffing this are are career, either Foreign Service or Civil Service, and, and both categories or employees are involved. The people who we brought back from our embassy in Kiev are mostly working in Washington now on the emergency task force that's been set up. It is around the clock 24-7. And there are various pieces. One is the diplomatic piece, but the other is trying to help people, both American citizens, but also USAID is focused on helping Ukrainians in terms of of getting them food and medicine and and other things that are running short. So it's a a whole of government effort, and our members are in in the middle of it.
1: I imagine there's a lot of interagency Interaction going on too. Homeland Security has been designated, not surprisingly, as the agency to protect U.S. homeland. And then you've got the UN whole staff and the and the National Security Council involved here too. So, are there collaborations across agency like that?
0: Yeah, no. And the the coordination is is led from the White House by by the National Security Council. And there are more than daily coordination meetings going on. I can't share details, but um, you know, this is a constant effort at coordination information sharing. As you mentioned at the United Nations, our mission there is staffed by our career people as well as political appointees. And at AID, it's mostly career people also with some political appointees. So it's it's everyone. And the goal, obviously, is to also make clear with our allies and, and partners around the world to Russia that the costs are going to be very high if they don't pull back And stop this illegal, outrageous assault.
1: Now, as president of the American Foreign Service Association, you're not posted by the State Department at the moment. Your post, if you will, is with the association. But are they asking you questions anyhow? Is the association involved and your history of of experience in that region? Is that something they're calling? Hey, Eric, we know you're at the association, but.
0: Yeah. So there's a whole network of current and former diplomats, foreign service officers, civil service people who've worked on these issues for years who are in regular contact. Uh, Some of it is just sharing ideas and uh, some of it is just those of us who are not in the middle of it doing what we can to support our colleagues who are. But then our association and union, AFSA, is very involved in a couple of pieces. One is trying to support the American employees and their families who've been evacuated, many of of whom had to leave under very difficult conditions. Sometimes they had to leave behind pets because it was all done by commercial flights and they couldn't get space for their pets. Uh, Their kids were yanked out of school and are now trying to start school, at least temporarily, here in the U.S., some of them are scattered. The families are, are allowed to go anywhere they want. The employees are here in Washington. So we're trying to support them. And then we're trying to support our local employees in Ukraine, the Foreign Service National Employees, who, uh, who aren't members of our union, but they are part of the Foreign Service family. And they have been working for our embassy and for our country and for shared goals and values and for their country as well. And a lot of them are in basements and cellars. And a lot of them um, have volunteered for the Ukrainian military or been drafted, or they have uh, husbands and fathers and brothers who have. And it's a very scary time. So we're doing what we can to help efforts to support them, raise funds for them. There's a bunch of GoFundMe efforts going on and a couple of other things. So we're trying to support that as well.
1: So you have financial and physical danger to people in one form or another.
0: Well, yes. I mean, in, in Ukraine now, the banking system is shut down. Uh, the economy is shut down. The roads are mostly closed. It's almost impossible to get out from central and eastern Ukraine. So people now, if they haven't left, it's very hard to, to go anywhere other than the basement or the metro station. And the scenes are reminiscent of London during the Blitz. It's, it's horrifying.
1: And just on a personal note, again, have you felt the uh, cold finger of Russian cyber hacking?
0: All of us who've worked on these issues have been hacked before, have been attacked before, can't go into details except to say that I, I think cyber is a very important part of this. And I know that our country and our allies and NATO and others are, are completely focused on that. But all of us in, in America have felt the effects of Russian interference and hacking. We know about our elections, but uh, it, it's obviously a, a very big concern. And um, it's something I think everybody needs to, to be aware is, is is a huge danger to our our society.
1: All right. Well, we wish you and your associates at the State Department the best here. Ambassador Eric Rubin is president of the American Foreign Service Association. Thanks so much for joining me.
0: Thank you very much, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. As a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy.